Greetings. It is time again for a quaggling sand. I need some theme music, or maybe I don't. I don't know. Today is the 16th of June, 2021. I normally have been trying to get uh, a weekly uh, recorded on Monday evening or Tuesday morning. Try to publish it on Tuesday. This week is uh, a little hectic, and we're coming up on my birthday, which will uh, include a sort of an odd story, not necessarily a wonderful one, but we'll get there and we'll see what you think. But today I will talk about something I've been reading and uh, watching presentations about uh, quite a bit, substantial amount of time spent learning about the state of the art in event-sourced microservice architecture and the good and the bad and the ugly of same. And I think it's very unusual uh, because it's unusual, and it's not unusual because of what it is, but it's unusual because I it, it kind of jibes with some of the <clears throat> sort of the human factor stuff that I've been thinking about. Um, I've been aiming at forming a nonprofit for, <clears throat> excuse me, for for ideation uh, and innovation in the assistive technology spaces uh, using a co-creation model. So what you, or what we hope to accomplish is connecting some of the project development, uh, product development eventually. So some of the stuff before it becomes a product in the early ideation stages, connect that process with users with uh, in a co-creation model. So invite actual people who will use, uh, and you know, assistive technology is is one particular segment of of products and services. So, but it's something where I've I've long believed that there's something left on the table. So we're getting to work on that. In fact, uh, in a few days, we'll have a, a kind of a mini pre-board meeting and see about. You know, the, the the paperwork side of uh, nonprofit, eventual charitable foundation type thing. Anyway, so as I've been kind of pondering the the real world projects that I've uh, I've been pondering, the the way that microservices and communication and failover and coordination and you know all the all the stuff all the stuff that, that happens behind the scenes of your, apparently your Netflix uh, <laughs> uh, page or program load when you uh, are selecting your next next item in the queue or billing or all, all the stuff. Netflix has a lot of microservice presentations, although over the last year, two years, maybe three years, there's been a much more diverse set of presenters. But anyway, the <clears throat> all the stuff that goes on, I see some parallels between human interaction and uh, and the way microservices are architected. And so mono versus micro, as in monolithic versus microservices. And as a solo entrepreneur, what that means is I am working by myself because I can't find anybody to work with. <laughs> 
which sounds more dire, but is somewhat true. Uh, I would say if I tried harder, I would probably find someone. But there is something to be said for taking an idea and running with it. So that part's okay. But when it comes time to deploy, right? So just like anything, you can, I can make one of something. I can make one cup of coffee. I can make one muffin. I can make one pizza. I can make one application. But if I need to suddenly make a thousand or a million of something, then the solo entrepreneur must seek help. So the mono versus micro notion kind of scales out for people and for software projects. So it's been, it's been interesting to ponder just in general. <clears throat> I mean, you know, for those of us who've been, uh, sorry with my, uh, my allergies as always, the, the challenge for anybody who's been working from home was how do you communicate with any coworkers or colleagues or students or teachers or whatever your mode was for a chunk of 2020. So there's, you know, how do you, how do you communicate? How do you share information? How do you teach a class when people aren't necessarily engaged because the setting is not right? Or how do you have a meeting when people are zoom fatigued or, um, and, and this is something that software people are probably slightly, there's a slight edge, I think, just because of the distributed development and, you know, GitHub and Jira or equivalents. Um, certainly Jira. I, I actually I have a friend at, at Lazian, if I'm saying that correctly, and he confirmed that it's not, there's not much disagreement with this, uh, this fact that somebody mentioned in, I think it was a D zone article, developer zone. So I think it's dzone.net, dzone.com. It was basically uh, Atlassian products, Jira, Bitbucket, Confluence. Is there another one? Jira. Well, anyway, those are enough. The they they create a noise environment that becomes dis more distracting and tends to actually hide information or make it difficult to assemble a picture in your head. So that's, that's a case where this, uh, this attempt to bolster communication and feed the program manager's need for pie charts and, uh, and, uh, age, what is it? Aging reports and, uh, and bug closure rates and all these fun things that I, I first learned about when I was at Apple in 1993 that these tools aren't actually really helpful. But in general, uh, if you're working on software with someone at a distance and you don't, you're not sitting next to each other, it's still reasonably comfortable to share information and, and work on things. And that really breaks down, I think, for the casual human who doesn't habitually collaborate, uh, document collaboration is not something people do day to day, like live live collaboration or even change management, which Google Documents, uh, Office 365, probably, uh, what is that one? Um, the Z, Z something, Office, uh, LibreOffice, all, all these products, they do change highlighting, di document dif difference displays and commenting. 
say, you know, spreadsheets, Word documents, all this stuff you can do between people. And to me, that's not dissimilar to this monolithic versus microservices concept and discussion and pros and cons arguments and all this is that <clears throat> how do you how do you delegate things to more than because I'm a monolith right now I'm a monolithic application I am designing project ideas some in the real world one I just described earlier there's a couple other ones there are some software projects there's <clears throat> there's all the architecture that goes into the common code base that I've I think I've mentioned in another episode of Quaggling Sand. Uh, it's suffering from uh, analysis paralysis, of course, because that's a monolithic feature. So if I added a program manager and a couple of other coders and a QA, and if you view that as microservices, then how do you coordinate all that on the fly? Because um, I don't have an office, right? I'm uh, currently a solo entrepreneur. So I have an office for one and a table for none. <laughs> and so you could view the staffing of a startup or a small business like this as a monolith to microservices migration. So how do you break up the tasks and how do you use standard communication protocols? Like, uh, okay, we'll use uh, Google Office uh, documents. I don't know if it's called that Google workspace documents, Google docs, documents, spreadsheets, slides, all that. So we'll use that. So that'll be a standard protocol that we'll use with document sharing and we'll share stuff on the, on a shared drive and we'll use GitHub and we'll use, um, uh, I guess, I guess if we're using Google products, we can use the new chat and meet and all the other, whatever they're naming things nowadays or zoom or telegram or say, you know, we can, we can establish some, some, uh, some common tools that are readily available, reasonably priced or free. So we'll be up and running with our, our communication back and forth. And then it's still a question of synchronizing things. And if we're not all meeting up in person, which I don't think is essential, but can be helpful, then how do you coordinate? And so when you get to the microservice messaging, event sourcing, you know, the Kafka is the big thing now. I just saw an article today. Pulsar wants to be the Kafka killer, except they're both Apache projects. So that's curious, but that's another time. So just the intricacies of coordinating microservices and how that aligns with the intricacies of, of coordinating people is kind of interesting. So that's uh, something I'm paying attention to as I try to kick off that nonprofit which will require other people to participate in some way on a, on our founding board of directors or possibly advisors and then branching out from there. So how do you grow your organization in an organic? Cause it's cause uh, I don't know if you've ever worked on it with a nonprofit board of people who are, kind of they want you know they're volunteering their time initially because you're just getting it's like a startup it's a you know except there's maybe not as much upside directly uh in the in the first you know however many years so out of the goodness of our hearts uh contributing time and energy so how do you make the most of those resources and coordinate everything so that's something that's been 
uh, this will be a recurring theme now and then as, as this unfolds, because there will no doubt be some wins and losses on the, uh, the microservice front, the microservice, human, human microservice. Is that a thing? Uh, human microservice. Is it Conway's, Conway's law that, uh, a software architecture will grow to resemble its human infrastructure in which it's deployed or something like that. So maybe that's true. Maybe it's not, I don't know. <clears throat> so, so yeah, so I'm, so I'm pondering that and it's probably overkill on the software side because th certainly some smaller projects don't need to have all that thought put into them unless they do. So when you think about it, uh, I hate to claim that I'm even concerned about this, but just take the fail whale example, right? So Twitter was very poorly architected up front and then who knew it would take off as it did. And they became sort of a, an unfunny joke for a while with the fail whale. And when you think about it, there's no reason if you, if you put some thought into it ahead of time, there's no reason for that to happen with the, even with the computer infrastructure back then, there's really no, and so today they, they are, they are a frequent example in the presentations that I've watched mostly on YouTube, like go to and QCon and there's some others, you know, they're, well, you know, if, if Twitter back in the day was using event sourcing, then there would have been no need to, you know, do these table lookups and all that. It would have been just, you know, just read through an event stream and, publish it to a client, eh, which makes sense. So something to think about, uh, there are a couple of projects, uh, I could talk about the food truck infrastructure, the mobile vendor business platform all day. So that will be a, a special show at some point, but you know, ideally there'll be lots of people using that and it's not just displaying a logo or marker on a map. There's some, some business going on behind the scenes and some market analytics and some other stuff. So to make sure that works and to roll back or at least deal with user initiated changes, which could be in error. For example, if I book a mobile vendor and then I want to change it, that change should be visible. And then how does, how to notify people who are subscribed to that event. I mean, literally of, you know, a physical event, a booking of some sort. So how do you notify people if the time changes or if it's canceled? So my existing code base had a, the presumption was there'd be an updated column. And, uh, I actually had a table called DB message that would capture basically an operation against any table. So any, any database object. So event changed and then later something else would go through and say some other you know, background could go through and check and see if there's an oh, uh, event changed. Let's see what it is. But when you think about uh, event sourcing so much more straightforward, you have a topic that you send a message to that this event time changed, date changed, canceled, whatever. And anyone can subscribe to that. And there you go. Done. 
you know, you can uh, generate a, you know, a single email notification, a client mobile device, anything, you can do whatever you want. So the, the event stream notion uh, makes a lot of sense. So it's been an interesting read and watch of YouTube. Sometimes for as much as YouTube uh, is troubling, and I believe I told the story last week about share video. So even though YouTube was several years, several years, um, I think almost 10, 2005. And we were, we were futzing around in 1996. Um, they, they probably launched when the technology caught up. So we would have been way too early and it would have sucked and it would have died. So I don't really feel bad about that, but YouTube itself is a problematic, but anyway, the, there's plenty of cool resources on there for, uh, I mean, endless presentations over the years, which I consume probably too much. I need to sit at the keyboard more than, more than I, my, more than I have been. So, uh, so yeah, my, the, the, the push now on my end will be, how do I account for a microservice direction? And I've kind of wondered, actually, <clears throat> this would be a topic for a discussion if anybody listening to this has thoughts or experiences. So that uh, I'm not totally impressed by the saga notion where you, uh, I, I guess probably, they, they always use the purchasing example, like generate, printing a mailing label and fulfillment process and warehousing and shipping. So sure. Um, so how do you take one, well, how do you do a transaction across multiple microservices? Right. So I need to make sure that something like user customer places order and order will be fulfilled. All of the steps between there are sort of a transaction, whether literally a transaction or approximating one, that's, that's sort of a question, I suppose. But, you know, in my PostgreSQL acid compliant database, I could very easily, I, I like a schema. So I have a schema for different, uh, I could argue that they're microservice ish, but not totally. But so if I had a customer schema and a shipping schema and you know, all, so I suppose I've broken the database down and, and, even whether it's microservices or um, monolithic, at some point, if there's a bottleneck where the transactions are kind of collected and and uh, executed in a in a you know in a transaction, right? So you commit it at the end, or if it fails, it fails. So uh, I need to look at how sagas work because my, in my view not to be confused with database, database view, in my view, um, it should be possible at smaller scales to implement a multiple service, single transaction along these lines. But, but that doesn't scale at all. If you want to go with like, Oh, I, I have 25 databases. And of course, uh, it's a trap to think that you should always use one database for everything. Uh, whether it's one single database, for everything or one database type for many things. So for example, I should not be using PostgreSQL to store documents, All right? There's perfectly serviceable document databases for that. Mongo, Couch, 
others. So yes, I could store content in a JSONB column or even a text or an XML column, but say a JSONB document stored in there and that's all well and good, but that's not Postgres is a, is a Swiss army knife perhaps, but there are better ways. So I cannot always assume that my transaction will take place in a single database. So it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing as well. And this maps right back to people, same thing. You know, if you, once you have multiple people trying to coordinate tasks, do they talk to each other? Do they, uh, is, uh, is there a deadlock dependency? Are they, are they waiting without telling each other? Kind of interesting. Uh, I, th I don't know if I remember if I, I don't know if I remember that's true. I don't remember if I mentioned this in this podcast. It was definitely in the FFS talk podcast, uh, delivering big Delta. So if you want to listen to those ramblings that that was sort of a seminal, like, Oh, this is what this podcast should be about. But I was, I was pondering based on, some comments that Jim Rutt made. Jim Rutt is big on Game B, and he he kind of caught a whiff of holacracy, and he was talking to the author whose name I believe is Brian Robertson. I may be I'm totally guessing at that. It's something like that. So holacracy, an interesting idea, very clearly rooted in software, and then having people behave as though they are arguably microservices uh, operating in circles if they're if it's more than one person the communication that happens between them so I, I've read Holacracy and I downtown project and Zappos adopted Holacracy to with varying levels of uh, success is probably a small word a, a strong word it's, it's also a small word but uh, but it's it's so I'm not the first one to even ponder that the communication between different people and, and interaction on a completion level. You know, once, once you have multiple teams or even multiple people that are not in a team, so cross team, cross individual function where you both need to accomplish something to enable the other to accomplish something, things like that can get tricky. And the example I always give with, uh, <clears throat> when I'm, when I'm, when I'm addressing my concerns about holacracy, I usually point out a story that I, I've, I've simplified, but which is based on a, on an actual story, which I heard directly from downtown project people. And it was, uh, if you have two circles, so two, two teams of more than one person each, they work on things and only if there is a tension between them. So an issue, a bug, do they communicate? Do they raise attention, a tension, not attention. So one team may say, Hey, you're, you are doing this and it's blocking us. And then they'll say, Oh, let's resolve that. And there's a whole process that seems maybe a lot of a lot of communication, a lot. It's a heavier protocol than maybe most casual employees are interested in. But 
end of the day, that's supposed to resolve everything. So the example I usually give is, uh, and this again is based on an actual uh, anecdote from a real situation that the downtown project encountered. So this is not the actual, but it's based on it, right? So it's illustrative, not, uh, not quoting. So if you imagine these two circles, one is in charge of building a building and one is in charge of tearing down the same building, but they don't actually interact because the every day the team building the building just builds more. And the, every day the team tearing down the building just build, or tears down more. And so they're always accomplishing their goals and they don't seem to be, you know, unless somebody notices like, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> you guys are, and we're doing, oh, that's not going to work. Tension. But in this case, that wasn't happening because there wasn't like a direct visual contact, I guess you could say, in the in the anecdote. So, you know, this was really happening where two groups were sort of opposing each other in progress, undoing the other's efforts. And it was, uh, it was, it was kind of silly. So these are the sorts of things where I kind of, I, when I look at microservices and then I look at some of the human interactions that I've either heard of or witnessed or then been a part of over my ridiculous years, um, I find it fascinating. So I, I think this will be something that I will try to code. It will, it will shape some of my implementation and then I will probably talk about it some more. So I will, uh, I will see about my right now so far, <clears throat> so far I've taken my monolithic database, which had, which sort of grew from the needs of my mobile vendor platform. But my goal was always to leverage, uh, if you think about mobile vending, there's, you know, venue schedule, uh, customer vendor. So my customers are the vendors, their customers are our customers. There's, um, you could, uh, you could include a loyalty program. You could do, uh, nowadays online ordering. So menu presentation and some sort of a transaction. So there, there's a lot of parts, but if you take those parts and you don't put them in the big ball of mud, then I could create other, other applications on this platform that has sort of emerged. And of course, when software emerges, <laughs> organically growing like weeds that's always a good sign so um i've been i've been spending a great deal of time on what do i want to do with all this stuff and how to best roll these out so yeah these will these will all be educational for uh for me and anyone else who's curious so there you go so now it is story time and before i get to the story i will remind you that i am publishing my show notes for the podcasts, not only this podcast, uh, Quaggling Sand podcast, but the FFS Talk podcast and the Hugo Floss podcast that I do with my mom. And my mom has been a podcaster for more contiguous years than I have been, although I was podcasting before she has been more recently. But anyway, so yeah, my mom, my mom rocks a Zoom H4N Pro for field recording and a couple of mics, and uh, so there you go. So it's uh, it's it's uh, interesting. So we ter basically turned our pandemic 
phone chats. Uh, we didn't take those directly, but we said, yeah, we, we were on the phone chatting about this or that or, you know, my, how my dad was doing. and all. So, hey, why not? So three podcasts to choose from, and they all have associated uh, Substack newsletters that go out to carry the show notes and the links to the show and the, all that. So be sure and check that out. In the show notes for this episode, there will be an, a link to the show notes uh, page, profile page on Substack. In the the um, description of your in your RSS based podcast reader, in the you know the description with uh, the mention of the show and who's in it and all that. So there will be a link to quagglingsand.substack.com. You can certainly go there from what I just said. Or you can click on the link in your favorite podcast catching software. I found the show notes to be a, a, a more interesting, like from a visual presentation and from a distribution standpoint, not all podcast software makes the, the text content of the RSS feed, the C data, if you will. Uh, they don't all make it so easy to read. They don't format it particularly well in every case. I know Anchor, the sort of hub from which we publish, is not great at this, at uh, displaying that text, that con the HTML. So, and the same, I uh, review, I have not published any podcast stuff, but both review and Substack are better at showing what I would like them to show as far as like presentation. The text is fine. Uh, Anchor has a 4K character limit, I think, in the description, which is usually fine. But the the newsletters, you can go as big as you want. And so I, I go a little bit longer, but that's fine. But neither, I think the newsletter wave, kind of like Clubhouse, I think it's still, maybe it's exposing some of the things that we all would like better. So we'll see. But for now, that was a that was a bit of a tangent here. So, but for now, the the show notes quagglingsand.substack.com. And if you're really curious, you can go to my profile page on Buy Me a Coffee. And while you do not have to buy me a coffee, uh, for the sake of uh, simplicity and a single source of truth, I've been placing links to the sh the the podcast, the show notes, and I will place links to the what is what will eventually be the Casa Nunzia Foundation website and additional stuff regarding that and surely more will appear. So if you follow me on buymeacoffee.com slash Dan Hugo, you will see Quagling Sand, you'll see all the other stuff I've mentioned. And by all means, you can buy me a coffee. It will go towards coffee beans. So, but no obligation. Anyway, so story time. All right. <clears throat> so like I said, this is not necessarily a, a super happy story, but it's kind of interesting just uh, by way of reflection. I mentioned my birthday is coming up. There have been many before it, but uh, this year, this is the one. So... I worked at, well, so first of all, uh, I entered the workforce in early 1990s and Silicon Valley, 
I had always wanted to work at Apple. I had always wanted to do something with computers and all that stuff. So, you know, moving to Silicon Valley at the end or what would be soon the end of the recession, the the Bush recession, we're getting started with the Clinton era. Since Al Gore invented the internet, we were uh, getting ready to rock and roll. So I, uh, I actually, my first job when I moved to Silicon Valley was at Supermac Technologies. And I met Lou Doctor, not directly, but he was the one who laid me off. <laughs> and later I would work for Lou Doctor at True Vision. And there are many instances where I would work with the same person at multiple companies and I would cross paths with the same people. And I got to know many interesting people. And it turns out this all started when I was in college. One of my classmates was uh, David Carlton. And at some point, I was working at SCM Microsystems and, you know, smart cards, stuff like that. And Netscape was doing stuff with smart cards, which they never really completed sort of a, a, a plan, but they had some ideas. And so David was working in the security group and was about to move to the Java group. And so he said, hey, you're doing smart cards, right? I think they want to do something with smart cards here. Why don't you send me your resume and I will... And this is back in the days when somebody said that, they would actually hand it to someone. Now, when somebody asks for a resume, who knows what happens. But uh, So David lovingly placed the resume in the, the hands of the correct person, and I eventually would, would work there. Now, uh, anyone who's in the computer field, you have heard this quote, or you've probably read it. Computer stop. That's another podcast for another day. Uh, <laughs> you would think a voice identification would... would uh, no, well, I guess it was me saying the C word. Anyway, you have heard this quote, no doubt, or read it. Uh, and it is something like, there are two problems, or the two main problems in computer science are cache line invalidation, or just cache invalidation, and naming things. And there's a variant that was not a direct quote, but it's a, a paraphrase where they say the the main problems in computer science are cache invalidation, naming things, and off by one errors. So haha. Yeah. But anyway, so the 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 main original version of the quote, cache invalidation, naming things, that was Phil Carlton. And that was David's father. So Phil was a fe uh, principal or a fellow. I think he was an engineering fellow at some point at Netscape with Kip. Kip, I can't remember his name, but yeah, Phil was one of the, they were, you know, engineering fellows. Say, that, say that's true. So Phil had done a lot of work with our group, security group, and we had many interactions with him. He was not far away on the same floor in the same building, so... uh you know, I was I was on friendly terms with him. I had been to the the Carlton home several times in Cupertino, and so yeah, nice guy. He actually, because of his connection to 
um, the beer place, which is totally escaping me at the moment. <laughs> uh, well, there was always a keg of beer from the, uh, the place. It's a, I'm totally spacing on the name, but, uh, the, I'll, I'll put in the notes. Um, Gordon Biersch. Thank you. I, that just popped into my head. So Gordon Biersch always had a keg of Gordon Biersch beer of some kind in our kitchen area. And strangely enough, despite what you are probably thinking at this moment, it was not emptied out daily. It was um, just adults with a keg of beer handy in case you wanted to grab a beer some evening. So that was that was actually a pleasant accessory, but not abused. Anyway, so when I was working at Netscape, it would be my birthday, and I was staying home. For the, in the morning of my birthday because I was out the night before and I was ugh, tired. <laughs> so I was planning to go into work. It was a flex time. It was not a big deal. So, you know, I think it was n- not a mystery that it was my birthday, so that was fine. And unfortunately, uh, my one of my coworkers, Lisa Repka, called me at home. She said, have you heard about Dave's parents, David's parents? And I said, no, Uh, what happened? And so the Carltons and I think at least one friend, family friend, were in Italy and were were getting onto a freeway, a highway, roadway, and a tractor-trailer truck was coming up behind them and was unable to stop and so collided with them. And long story short, David Carlton became a, uh, well, he, he was orphaned that day. So, uh, yeah, let's keep it simple. So, obviously, that I will not forget that particular day. So, around my birthday, it's always kind of interesting as I reflect on my career and my interactions and who I've come across in my travels. I've met some very very smart people and I've met some very annoying people. <laughs> I try to remember the smart ones and uh, try to get them connected on LinkedIn at some point so I at least have their resume slash business card handy. And so Netscape was a, a crazy place to to work at the time. So not only Phil Carlton, but <clears throat> there was um, Jamie Zwinski, there was... Uh, Tom Dell, if you ever visited the rotten.com website, I remember, I don't remember the date, but I certainly remember the evening when I, when Tom came into work and said, uh, Hey, you should check out my new website. (laughs) And the day Howard Stern mentioned it. And, uh, I worked with a guy who was like infamous for the team on, well, if you were a nerd for the Timon, uh, Timon or Timon Pro debugger on the Mac, which was uh, my favorite debugger because Mac's bug kind of sucked. So he worked like, oh, that guy? I know that guy. Uh, Brendan Ike of uh, Brave fame now worked on the other side of the cue ball for me. So uh, the list goes on, and that was just at Netscape. And then you go, oh, and then um, Tahir Agamal. I remember we were in a meeting, and... I had read, uh, I think I read both editions at the time of um, Bruce Schneier's books, the, uh, what was it called? Applied Cryptography. 
So there was the blue book and the red book. So I had them both, read them both, They're, you know, editions of the same book. And so we were in a meeting one day and there's Tahir. I said, is that, that's Tahir Elgamal. That was the backpack, Elgamal backpack algorithm, right? So, so, and then I, um, I did a project with RSA. So like, oh, Rivish Shamir and Edelman, geez. I mean, so all this, all these uh, cool interactions, not to mention, I mean, Netscape was a, the first third of my career, my, you know, working at Apple, I was working in Mariani one, which was the first Apple address on, on, uh, I guess, well, on Mariani, but in Cupertino, that was like the first Apple building, which is kind of cool. And, uh, so people, you know, all the people I met there, the random characters, uh, behind the scenes, seeing, uh, when I worked in the Newton group, some, some Walter Smith, you know, he was he was kind of a luminary. Uh, uh, there were several several people whose names escaped me, but that's when I worked there. That's when I was I first heard about ten um, not ten four. That was a that was a meeting room. Um, I cannot remember the name of the project, but that was when I first heard about porting the Mac OS to Intel processors. And of course, I had worked at Apple when they were porting from sixty eight K to PowerPC. So, you know, I already had hands on. Like, yeah, okay, that's probably doable. Um, yeah, so um, Philips, SEM, just all these various companies, and then the people that I ran across um, when I worked at Palm, various characters. Uh, Travis G., if you're uh, following Fuchsia, he's becoming more famous once again. If you were uh, a BOS fan, you probably know about his work on, on that path people that are fans of the uh um uh, is it haiku haiku os sort of the bos based always always beta os oh well, what isn't really but anyway so i've i've had some very interesting interactions over the many many years of my career and it's been an interesting ride so far and as a solo entrepreneur, I don't necessarily get to interact with people like I usually enjoy. So I'm looking forward now uh, Now that the pandemic is uh, all but over, if you don't count the Delta variant and the fact that Nevada is one of seven states in the U.S. that has an increasing number of cases and uh, a lower percentage of vaccinated individuals. But forgetting all that, uh, looking forward to traveling again and getting out into the tech world, whether it's related to the the foundation we're starting and working with people on assistive technologies and co-creation or other projects I've got cooking. Looking forward to it. So that's my that's my reflection on my upcoming birthday. You can probably do some rough calculations based on my other date that I mentioned and I'll let you do that yourself. An exercise left to the listener. I'm also going to cut it short today. Uh, usually I end up around an hour. But you have better things to do, and I have candles to light on my fictitious cake. So eventually I would like to address the RSS feed conundrum that I am not a, not a fan of, but there there will be plenty of topics along those lines as I reflect on the publishing of podcasts and how I do not enjoy it. 
because it seems cumbersome and unnecessarily uh, legacy-laden. Uh, Apple just lost their podcast, launched their podcast thing. I don't know if, I don't know what the iTunes versus podcasts or whatever. It's, I don't know what they're doing, but uh, Apple and, and Google and everybody has their podcast platform and Anchor and Spotify and Amazon and monetization and exclusivity and I don't know. I don't know about this. So that, that'll be maybe next week or the following week. We'll see. Um, in the meantime, thank you for listening. Thank you for visiting my buy me a coffee.com slash Dan Hugo profile. If for no other reason than to just keep track of the, some of the stuff I'm working on, why don't I have a blog page or some other thing? And that is a good question. And the answer is because I'm still not exactly sure where I want to plant the roots. There is a danhugo.com domain in my possession. And so that will be a hub of sorts, but I'm really thinking Tumblr style at the moment. I've always thought that was a, an interesting idea. Um, not a fan of WordPress and so on. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. So buymeacoffee.com slash Dan Hugo for a, a list of links and stuff that I'm working on just as a central, easily accessible place. And you are welcome to do what it says or you're welcome to not. There's no obligation. You can, did you know you can join in on this podcast? You can tell me what you want to talk about and we will, uh, let's have a conversation rather than me just rambling on about this and that. And I'm really thinking about like, I'm not a fan of Zoom, partially, there are a variety of reasons, but they don't, uh, you, I can't record easily because I don't use Mac or Windows platforms to run their application on. So you need the application to do the recording. I don't like that idea, but, you know, whatever. So that said, I would like to eventually have some sort of a drop-in or some sort of a discussion or chat and maybe do these regular times. I'd like to, especially as code is deployed for the world to see, you know, kind of some, some commentary, some rambling about what you're working on, what I've been working on. Hey, look, there's another thing, and so on and so on. So you can always email me, dhugo at cloglingsand.com. You can... I, we have a Twitter account, Quaggling Sand, and all, all the usuals, although I mostly just post on Twitter a little bit. Social media is not my favorite, but you can do all these things. Track me down. Be a guest on the show. Let's talk about what you're working on. Maybe you can complain about what I'm working on or give me some cool ideas about how to fix what I'm working on. Uh, maybe I can do the same for you, and people listening can sit back and relax. So thank you again for listening and take care. And don't forget the weekend edition on review. There's a link to that in the show notes. Subscribe if you like. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.